The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning. Let's get into the headlines this hour. U.S. stocks rally into the close. The S&P nearing a record high. Investors shrug off stalled stimulus talks as President Trump shows no sign of compromise with Democratic lawmakers. We can't give them the kind of ridiculous things that they want that have nothing to do with the China virus. It has nothing at all to do with China virus, much of what they're asking for. So therefore, they don't have the money to do the universal mail-in voting. Uh, Democratic vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris makes her campaign trail debut with a scathing attack on President Trump and his handling of the virus crisis. It's because of Trump's failure to take it seriously from the start. His delusional belief that he knows better than the experts. The British government uh, is considering adding France to its quarantine list, but looks to avoid the chaos sparked by its overnight move on Spain, as French cases jump by over 2,500 in one day. TUI gets a lifeline from the German government, the travel company securing a 1.2 billion euro state aid package to help the group survive the winter. We'll talk about TUI's latest earnings in just a moment. Welcome to the programme. So just as we open the show this morning, we've got a beat on the revenue line for the second quarter for Deutsche Telekom. Numbers up 37.5% to 27 billion. Uh, the poll average was for 25.6 billion. So a notable beat here. The uh, group consolidating the sprint results for the first time. So obviously that helping uh, with the uh, numbers this morning. The uh, second quarter adjusted a bit uh, coming in up 56.4% uh, at 9.8 billion euros. The poll average was 8.9 billion, so that is a beat. The adjusted net profit coming in down 3.8% to 1.278 billion. That is below the poll average of 1.6 billion. And let's see if I can find you a, another line here on the organic revenue line. So this is excluding the Sprint edition, uh, down 0.6%. Uh, the uh, company is issuing new 2020 guidance uh, for adjusted EBITDA after leases of 34 billion euro and a free cash flow number of at least 55 billion euros. So uh, the uh, the guidance um, uh, above market expectations, but the company cautioning that the cost of integrating Sprint will have some impact on the group cash flow. So the uh, message, while it's an underlying performance beat on the market expectations, it does seem as though uh, the company also just giving a little bit of caution on the uh, outlook here um, uh, for the uh, additional costs of the Sprint integration. 
Uh, let's just tell you about TUI then. The group has secured a further 1.2 billion euro aid package from the German government. The Anglo-German tourism group says the added liquidity will help it weather the pandemic fallout into the winter season and next year. It is the second relief package TUI has received from Berlin after the uh, two sides agreed a 1.8 billion euro loan deal in April. TUI shares in London and Frankfurt initially jumped on the news before reversing gains and closing the session sharply uh, lower. Um, let's have a quick look at some uh, Carlsberg numbers. Um, let's pull these up. Uh, fine. So the um, story out of the Danish uh, brewer this morning, if I can get you some uh, headline numbers here. The uh, group reporting a first half organic operating profit down 8.9% uh, to 4.6 billion Danish kroner. The uh, first half uh, operating um, that's it. Let's just get there. Just the numbers are coming in thick and fast here. Let me just uh, take a moment to catch my breath, and then we'll have a, a read through. So the guidance on organic operating profit a decline of ten to fifteen percent. Uh, Carlsberg sees first half organic revenue down eleven point six percent. The group. Uh, says it sees the on-trade sector in Western Europe gradually recovering but is not expected to get back to pre-COVID-19 levels in 2020. The uh, first half, uh, sorry, the second half China business expected to remain volatile, sees the second half direct impact of COVID-19 in Eastern Europe to be small, uh, marketing investments in the second half to increase compared with the first half, partly due to the postponement of activities from the first half to the second half in preparation for 2021. Um, the group, as you would anticipate then, uh, reporting uh, a number of challenges on the organic revenue side from the impact of uh, uh, the on-trade business here. Um, we'll uh, circle back to Carlsberg if there's anything else that's uh, interesting in these numbers. Uh, we've had some Tissen Krupp figures uh, cross the wires as well while I've been talking. Annetta, hopefully you've had a chance to look at those. How were they? Well, they actually, uh, they look like a mixed bag. Um, I think on the positive side, they are seeing signs of stabilization. And they are also saying that Q4, so July to September, uh, should show a, sh a stable performance in all of their business segments apart from steel. The problem is steel is their future. So I guess this will be the focus also from the market. So Q3 looks uh, like we have an operating loss for material services at 100 million. Uh, marine systems had an adjusted EBIT of a positive 4 million. Um, then we have uh, plant and technology has an operating loss, which is widening to nine, 97 million. Then the automotive technology, which is not a, a big surprise, the loss has widened to 129 million euro. Um, I'm just looking for the steel number. They are saying that Q3 
Q3 Steel Europe had an adjusted operating loss of 334 million euros. So the big question is how they are going to restructure their business, especially how they plan on doing money with their steel business. As we all know, they sold their crown jewel, the elevator business, for a whopping 20.4 billion US dollar to a consortium of private equity players, Edwin Sinwin, and uh, another one um, that was at the peak of the cycle. I remember being there at the super return when uh, things were still normal, at least in Europe, and they just managed to get that deal done at the peak of the cycle. Everybody already was wondering at that time whether that's the peak, and it apparently was the peak. So what they're saying that Q3 order intake from continuing operations um, stood at 4.7 billion. It's down 42% at 4.7 billion Europe, uh, euro. Um, so all in all, and the revenue line also came in a tad lower than analysts had expected at 5.77 billion euros. So I guess, as I was saying, it's a mixed bag. The numbers as such don't look really great, but they are seeing signs of stabilization and um, especially Q4 should see a normalization or stable business performance in all their segments apart from steel, Jeff. But that back to you. Terrific, Annette. I know trying to call these numbers as they're just trickling through is a, a little bit like trying to rub your head and pat your tummy at the same time. So well done, Annette, for working through those. Um, and notable, I think, that ThyssenKrupp, whilst it's had a modest recovery in its share price in recent weeks, is effectively half of where it was on a year ago story. So it's really not in enjoyed a lot of the upside that we've seen in the broader DAX. Uh, President Trump has hit out at congressional Democrats as talks over a massive new relief package remain stalled for a fifth straight day. Trump accused Democrats of holding the negotiations hostage over demands for increased spending on mail-in ballots and the U.S. Postal Service. We can't give them the kind of ridiculous things that they want that have nothing to do with the China virus has nothing at all to do with China virus, much of what they're asking for. So therefore, they don't have the money to do the universal mail-in voting. Well, in a statement, Democratic leaders said Treasury Secretary Mnuchin made an attempt to reopen negotiations, but they turned down the offer when White House officials refused to compromise over the size of the stimulus plan. U.S. consumer prices rose more than expected in July, thanks in part to an uptick in clothing costs and new car sales. Core CPI for the period rose by 0.6% during the period, its sharpest jump in almost 30 years. But don't get carried away. It still indicates that overall inflationary trends are subdued at this point. Uh, Three Fed policymakers say they expect U.S. growth to remain weak until the virus is contained. Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan said Americans must learn to live with the disease, while the San Francisco Fed Chief Mary Daly warned the expiration of federal jobless benefits will impact consumer spending. Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren also blamed states for not doing enough to subdue the virus, adding the economy will continue to suffer from these mistakes. Limited or inconsistent efforts to control the virus. Uh, place both citizens at unnecessary risk of severe illness and possible death, 
but also prolong the economic downturn. Eric Rosengren there for you. Well, let's walk over to the wall and just have a, a quick check on how these markets closed out the US session overnight there. And it was notable after the wobbles that we saw, particularly in the NASDAQ in the previous session, that we've actually seen a, a bit of a rebound and a bit of a move back into some of those growth plays. And of course, as far as the S&P is concerned, we're actually now, I think, just six points away from that record close that we saw back in February. And while we're on the subject of the S&P, um, our colleagues in the United States writing up Ed Yardini's uh, call on the S&P, he has become more bullish. He has raised his end-of-year forecast to 3,500 now on the S&P. Uh, he was previously at 2,900, so quite a difference from where we currently sit on the headline on the chart here. Uh, Yardini Research, of course, provides global investment strategy for a lot of those uh, houses that are willing to pay for it. He describes this ultimately as a melt-up with so much liquidity in the markets, a continued desire by investors to put the money somewhere where they might ultimately get a return. And that will continue to push money into the S&P 500. And if you're on the glass half full side on the markets, something that will help confirm your upward bias the Dow Transports. Now, Charles Dow, many, many years ago, outlined the Dow theory where he argued that ultimately the transports are an important measure of economic activity. And whilst you have a good run on the transports, it indicates that other parts of the economy are also uh, doing well and shouldn't be missed. And um, if we have a look at the Dow Transports, this is now the longest winning streak for this particular segment since 2010, with that 0.43% uh, higher close. That's not to say that the equities are all having it their own way. The treasuries also uh, uh, a, a little spike in the yield here to 0.6638%. Uh, that uh, represents effectively the highest level uh, we've seen in a month for yields. In fact, we've just edged back a little bit from the spot 6.7 that we saw printed yesterday. Was it a reaction to the inflation number or is it just perhaps um, uh, 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 evidence here of uh, some money uh, rotating away uh, from the Treasury market back into equities and that helping push the yield up a little bit. Uh, you'll have to make up your own mind on that one. But we will continue to focus obviously on the shape of the yield curve here as we try and get some feel and some sense of direction as to how meaningful some of the upticks we are seeing on uh, growth curves um, actually uh, are, how meaningful that pickup in activity is. Uh, let's talk about the politics. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden and his newly chosen running mate, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, appearing together for the first time to launch their ticket ahead of the November elections. Alice Barr from NBC has more. The Biden-Harris Democratic ticket taking center stage today and stepping into history. Your next vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. Senator Kamala Harris is the first black woman on a major party ticket. Joe Biden hoping that sends a message to young girls of color. Today, today, just maybe, they're seeing themselves for the first time in a new way. 
as the stuff of president and vice presidents. Harris is a U.S. Senator from California and that state's former Attorney General. She's the daughter of immigrants from India and Jamaica who met during the Civil Rights Movement. Marching and shouting for this thing called justice in a struggle that continues today. And I was part of it. My parents would bring me to protests strapped tightly in my stroller. More than 20 years younger than Biden, Harris is already injecting enthusiasm into the campaign. It's raised more than $26 million just since she joined the ticket. The Biden team also counting on the former prosecutor's strong and confrontational style against President Trump. We have a president who cares more about himself than the people who elected him. The president already accusing Harris of being nasty and disrespectful to Biden while they were running against each other during the presidential primaries. She said horrible things about him. Today, Biden and Harris showing a united front, ready to battle for the White House. Biden and Harris both wore masks and there were no cheering supporters watching on as they vowed to fight the spread of the coronavirus and turn around an ailing economy. In Washington, Alice Barr, NBC News. So to come this morning, we're going to discuss the latest earnings from the German industrial group Billfinger. How have they fared, uh, given that they are an operator in the oil and gas business? Uh, CEO Tom Blades will be up for a first on CNBC interview in just a moment. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give to someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Sportbox. Let's have a look at the uh, Billfinger numbers here. This is the engineering business. Second quarter orders received, uh, 391 million. The uh, number is uh, negative 15% organic. Year to date, uh, only negative uh, 3% organic. So that's not too bad. Second quarter revenue then in at uh, 793 million euros. uh, trough in April and May, as expected, a turning point in June, year to date, negative 19% organic, which gives us uh, a second quarter EBITDA adjusted at 35 million euros, in line with the sharp decline in revenue leading to temporary underutilization, it says here. So that's a negative 35 million euros. Let's get out to uh, Tom Blades. He is the CEO of Billfinger. Tom, good morning to you and thanks for joining us this morning. Just talk us through, if you can then, the impact of COVID and um, perhaps um, help us understand the outlook because you, you have at least been able to reinstate that. Yes, uh, good morning, Jeff. Um, I think if I look at the headlines, uh, you mentioned them, you know, revenue 
uh, down 29%, uh, but we think we're through the bottom. So June was less worse, let's say. I wouldn't say better, but less worse than uh, April and May. Uh, orders down 15% at uh, 931. So that's a book-to-bill ratio of 1.2. So we're ready for the you know the the bounce. Call it that. Uh, cash flow very positive. You know at uh, 129. So we're financed uh, through um, the effect of COVID and the oil price hit us hard in the the North Sea. Uh, revenues there are about uh, down by 50%. Uh, in the U.S., down by about 40%. Middle East, down by 25%. And the rest of Europe in the range of 10 to uh, 20%. So very mixed uh, picture across the board. Mm. Just focusing on the oil and gas uh, business specifically, um, mm. are you seeing um, a structural shift at all in the likely order outlook just as we see some of these uh, big oil companies uh, make uh, their big announcements about how they're going to pivot away to renewable? It's a very mixed uh, picture. I mean, our maintenance business, uh, call it our base business, is about 70% of our revenue makeup. Um, That continues. Uh, What we have seen is that uh, projects have been uh, either delayed or cancelled. And of course, in the North Sea, uh, on the UK side, a lot of the operators are selling out uh, to the smaller companies moving to other territories or not moving anywhere at all. On the Norwegian side, Equinor continues, uh, but with the focus on um, you know powering their offshore platforms from the land side, so trying to reduce their carbon footprint, uh, some investment in floating windmills. Um, in the US, you know, very little change. In the Middle East, we do see um, a lot of companies looking at uh, hydrogen projects uh, and, again, trying to use that to balance their CO2 footprint. And you flagged up the uh, the Hinkley Point project in the uh, announcement here. Could you just tell us a little bit more about what you're expecting around that project and the contracts? Sure. We signed contracts uh, for a little over 500 million uh, euros, that is. Uh, we've called off or the customer have called off about 140 of those. Uh, 140 million. We expect another 150 million uh, this year, 250 million next year. Uh, that hasn't yet hit the uh, order intake line because only when they're caught off do we actually record them. But again, it uh, puts us in a good position. And, you know, that's why I said with the book to bill ratio 1.2, we're ready for that bounce. Uh, we think we'll begin to recover throughout the rest of the year and we won't be quite at uh, 2019 levels in 2021. Uh, we'll be a little bit short, but definitely an upswing. Yeah, we um, talked a little bit, I think, about the impact of COVID. Maybe we can just spend a bit more time, particularly where it uh, affects your international operations in the United States. Could you share with us what further challenges you anticipate, uh, particularly in Texas, as a result of uh, the ongoing uh, flare-up in cases in that part of the world? Mm -hmm. Uh, again, a very mixed picture around the world. Uh, I think it's forced us to uh, review our, um, our structure around our organization. Uh, compared to last year, so the same quarter last year, we had about 37,500 people, we're 6,000 people less at this moment in time. A lot of those have been um, you know, redundancies in the US where there doesn't exist any furlough. In Europe, it's a mix between redundancy and furlough, so we're able to balance what we do. In the US, uh, our Texas office remains closed, so people working from home, uh, working remotely, you know, through video and uh, Teams. On site, however, you know, business does continue. A lot of what we do is uh, critical to uh, business, to industry, and therefore learning to work 
inside of the COVID uh, restrictions has been part of the learning curve. But I think we've come through that. Um, I think all of our customers have COVID protocols. And I think uh, if you look at Bilfinger, we have an excellent track record in safety. Uh, people are disciplined, able to adapt. And I think that makes us a, a good partner for customers, particularly in these times. Tom, clearly this is a challenging period for a lot of businesses and, and the market's constantly looking at balance sheets. Uh, you're in a reasonably robust state? Yes. Um, you know, our cash flow, as I mentioned, has been uh, positive, in fact, very positive. We've had some help from uh, deferred taxes, deferred Social Security. Uh, that'll roll out as we go through the remainder of the year. But uh, we'd see at this moment in time no need for additional financing. Our balance sheet is solid. We're good. We're ready. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.